Welcome back to Basic Brain Heart, the show where we celebrate and interrogate creatives of all stripes. I am Hannah Camacho, and today we have a really interesting, at least what I think is interesting, show. It's, it's very special. It's so special. I'm calling it the Supersode because it's not just an episode. We're doing a conglomeration of some of the highlights of each interview that we've done to date. So I've gone through each interview with each amazing guest we've had and taken uh, just a highlight out of our conversation that I've applied to my own personal life and it's been really, really effective for me. So I hope you'll enjoy, especially if you haven't had a chance to listen back through every episode you'll at least get to know each of the guests a little bit and hear something from our conversation that I feel is really, really powerful. I'm going to take a minute and get a little bit vulnerable with you as well. Um, So as some of you may know from listening to past episodes, um, I am an aspiring creative. I think everyone is born with a need to create and it manifests itself in different ways for each individual. Maybe you um, are really creative with food and you just are a culinary artist and you just know how to reinvent things and, and solve problems or your creativity manifests itself in a more traditional way where you are a, a songwriter. Um, you never know how your creativity is going to manifest itself. Maybe you're, you are a mathematician and somehow you're incredibly creative with how you teach that or how you lead people. You're creative in leadership and emotional intelligence. Everyone is creative in one way, shape, or form. And I think it's really good to step back and learn something from each other. Um, No matter what discipline you're in, I think we can learn uh, from people in other disciplines with other gifts. And that's really the reason why I started the podcast. Now, every few weeks, as someone who enjoys being creative, um, I'll get what I call... (laughs) my creative itch. And my husband can usually tell I've got it because I typically get a bit cranky and restless. And um, on a day-to-day basis, I usually quench my creativity itch um, by just doodling or doing some sort of hand lettering or sketching because that's the way that my creativity typically manifests itself or some writing. I really love writing. So right now I'm working on a screenplay and I'm sure it will never see the light of day, but it's a fun project for me to work on. But I'll get this creative itch where I have this desire to work towards something bigger and put my energy towards something more long lasting and more meaningful and more therapeutic for myself. And um, the individuals that we've had on the show thus far have really spoken to my soul and um, given me tools and just bits of wisdom that help me persevere in my own personal creative journey and expression. And so today really is, is some time to reflect on some of the things that they've shared that have really hit home with me and I have worked to apply to my own life and they've really assisted in that creative um, journey, at least for me personally. I hope I hope they have and will for you as well. And if they have, I would love to hear from you. And of course, whenever I do hear from you, I typically try to pass that word on to the individual um, in the episode so they can hear how they're uh, taking the time to share their story on the podcast has affected someone else. But um, we're going to go ahead and get started with these mini clips. I'm going to introduce each one very quickly. So in case you missed that episode, you'll have some context. But Uh, Without further ado, here we go. 
The first guest we had on the show was my good friend, Phil Tyler, who is a really skilled leader and a social justice warrior I so adore. And one of the pieces of our interview I particularly enjoyed was Philip talking about um, how he approaches um, equipping both leaders and individuals in the workforce to uh, work well together and to set each other up for success. And uh, here are a few words I found particularly meaningful. Emotional intelligence. Sure, sure. And we just assume that because you were great at a task, you'd be great at magic people that are doing that task. And the error we make is akin to squeezing toothpaste out of a tube and then asking you to put it back in. It's messy. Yeah. People are messy. Sounds like it. And and it creates wreckage and damage (laughs) that may not be repairable. So what I do with with my business is try to give them those skills up front so they are then successful in what it is they do. And it's really centered around respect. Empathy, specificity, and genuineness. Those four core values. And if you can institute those in every interaction you have uh, in life, it's going to be better. And that's the premise of my communications with those that I meet with. Um, I'm about the position of the person, Mm. not the person. Too often we get caught up in in a profession, a party, uh, a parish, even with our religious uh, uh, brothers and sisters, that we can't focus on an issue. We're all trying to get strategically to the same destination, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're trying to get to a community where where social justice and civil justice is the norm. We're not there yet, but we're trying to get there. But in doing so, you have to have engagers uh, and uh, resistors. Mm-hmm. Um, and in any uh, uh, environment where you're trying to create this, there's room for all of us. You know, if your skill is to be the resistor, lean on that and use that. If your skill is to be the engager, lean on that and use that too. There's room for us all and we must have uh, both in order to really get where we want to get to. I found Phil's comments about engagers and resistors really compelling as I know we are in, uh, in our nation now in a time where there are many engagers and many resistors. And um, I think that's relevant really in any industry or country and, and across the board is just a good reminder uh, when working with a team and uh, the different dynamics and the different um, mindsets that individuals may be in. Our next interview was with a good friend of mine whom I adore named Chris King. And um, one of the pieces of our conversation I especially appreciated was one where we recalled a book that Chris had recommended to me and uh, we discussed that a little bit. But then um, Chris kind of... Uh, shared his own personal thoughts on micro commitments and their importance in helping us continue to fight the good fight when it comes to the creative journey because really so much of it boils down to work. Like about the war of art and that really just, I guess we can just dive into any any uh, books that you found really helpful as, as it relates to the creative process or any designers that you really think are pushing the boundaries and maybe kind of bringing more of that purpose-driven design as well as just the creative piece together. I'd love to hear about anything you found really um, inspiring or helpful. Sure, yeah, that book is awesome. Um, I'm actually, I don't know, I, I would love to read it again. And it's so short, like I feel like that's it one of those tiny. books. It is, it is, and it's, I feel like it's one of those things you should read like at least once a year. Yes. Um, but for me, like the biggest takeaway for that is you need to show up every day. 
Like you need to sit down and just, even if nothing comes out of you, like just be there, just show up. Be, yeah, because, and I, I really do believe that, especially with art, I think with design, it's a little bit different. Um, but you know, you're kind of a channel for these things. Like sometimes totally. it's there, sometimes it's not, and you try to force it, and that especially doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and of course, like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really just uh, like showing up, so that when when that inspiration strikes, like you're there, you're you're warmed up, you're totally. in you're in the groove of actually doing this thing that you do, even if like nine times out of ten what you're producing is shit. There's that one <laughs> yes. time where it's just gonna strike and it's gonna come through you and it's yes. gonna be magic. Totally. Um so that was that was probably the biggest takeaway from that book for me. And I've I've heard that same message from other people where it's like you know, even like micro commitments, like sit down for at least, I mean, just 15 minutes a day. If there's something sure. that you really want to do, if you want to write a book, like just do it for 15 minutes. If you can't do it for 15 minutes, do it for five minutes. Totally. Um, I can't remember who else was saying that. Uh, I just read this uh, ebook that was, that was all about this. And it's true. It's like, I don't know how many times I've, you know, I've, I've bitten off more than I can chew. Like I've got yeah. these side project things that I want to do or, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to devote a whole Sunday to doing this thing. And it's like, that's so unrealistic. It just <laughs> doesn't happen. Yes. I mean, it does. Lofty like, goals. You, yeah, exactly. Chris's reminder about micro-commitments kind of helped kick my tushy into gear. Um, I had outlined a story. I'd been working on it every once in a while and really had been mulling over it for the last three years. But um, that reminder kind of helped me make a commitment to myself and also to a few close friends to remind me uh, to continue to chip away at getting that story on paper. And um, I can attest to just making those small commitments such as I will work on this screenplay for two minutes a day um, has really gone a long way in helping me to reach those creative goals. And often I end up, you know, under promising and over delivering. You know, I, I promise myself a paragraph and I end up knocking out five pages. Um, it is a really, really powerful reminder. And I so appreciated Chris talking about that. Up next, we have my good friend, Gloria Kimbala, who is um, a woman in tech. She's a minority and a woman, so she's really a double threat in uh, the engineering world, and she works for Square, and I really appreciated her thoughts on the importance of both diversity and inclusion. It's easy to um, be a little bit exclusive and say, we have a diverse team, but lack the inclusion piece, where inclusion is really important and diversity um, from the top down, and I loved her perspective on leadership and the importance of diversity and inclusion. Um, it seems to me that the urgency and priority for diversity and inclusion starts at the top, and it, ha it has to start at the top. You can't just hire a, we'll just make up a title, a chief of diversity and expect that to make the difference. I think it has to start with a CEO, and that has to be an absolute priority for that CEO in order for it to truly be carried out. But I would love to hear your thoughts in terms of leadership setting the tone and actually making a difference. Yeah, so for me, um, and I think for me, when you talk about diversity and inclusion, I really like focus a lot on inclusion because I like to mm. know that there's a, you know, there's a 
area where you made a space that all is welcome. And like for that. me, that at Square starts with our board. Our board is extremely diverse. Um, it was great for me to see like a black woman on the board of a tech company. That's awesome. That's completely empowering. And you know, I might have shared a couple, shed a couple of tears when I saw them. Yes. Them. But um, it's great to have that type of impact because they will hold your C-levels accountable then. And instead of me like finding an uphill battle and like screaming from the rooftops the importance of diversity, it's reflected in the board and the board has diverse, sure. you know, perspectives. And then it holds accounting, uh, the, the, the company accountable uh, for that perspective. And diversity just can increases productivity and increases the opportunities and so that is really important and then as as diversity and inclusion starts to trickle down you start to think of how do your employees feel when they come to the workspace do they feel included um, in the products or do they feel included with their perspective or that they can voice their concerns and for me it's great to see leaders that are extremely passionate about diversity and inclusion. You know, I know um, we have Sarah Fire, CFO, is extremely important about diversity, and she talks a lot about getting, uh, you know, women into the workplace. And it's nice to be able to have some of these side conversations with, you know, your C-levels about the importance of diversity. So you feel like you don't have to reinvent the wheel, but they have it on their top of mind as well, and they understand it. So how does that apply to creativity? Well, I'm a big believer in paying attention, paying attention to the teams that you are looking to join. Even if you're a freelancer, being really aware of the types of leaders you're following and the types of teams you are assimilating into, uh, because I think if you're paying attention beforehand, you can oftentimes avoid problems in the future. And if your team is diverse, oftentimes that's a good sign. It's a sign that other Uh, types of views and opinions are acknowledged and valued. And um, I think it's really important, especially in the creative arts, to have a multitude of viewpoints and life experiences and to be really aware of what you're stepping into. Up next, we had Esther Pearl, who, of course, was a Pixarian for years and now is a bit of an activist helping women and girls um, be prepared for the world of film. And she's doing some amazing work. And I really enjoyed a particular piece of our conversation where she tackled, um, you know, making big choices in life. And I I had made a comment about I think it's unfair for um, 18 year olds to have to choose their life path because they don't have enough life experience to go there. And her words are really comforting that you're not you don't have to um, set a life sentence on yourself. You can always change course. And um, something about that, even though it's common sense, really struck a chord with me. I think it's almost unfair to ask 18-year-olds to determine their life path. They haven't had enough life experience. They don't know what they want to do. It's such a confusing time. So I think it's great when they can kind of dip their toe in the water before that point. And, and oh, I, I, you know what? I really love editing. That's my thing. Um, you know, find something that they love and then they, they can pursue with all their hearts with confidence. That's fantastic. Well, and I think that that's the great thing about this industry. Uh, No matter what you do, it you can actually have fun 
at your career. And so, you know, so maybe, yeah, totally. Um, and so, you know, these hobbies that these girls may be pursuing right now could end up, I mean, that's one of the things that's happening even for our girls at Camp Real Stories. We just created a relationship with a online platform called Adolescent and, they, you know, they represent content created by teenagers. I mean, our girls have, you know, they have the opportunity to pitch ideas to them to see if, if they could get their ideas bought while they're still in high school. I mean, wow. so I think girls, you know, they're, you know, they're after the millennials, they're, you know, they're seeing their parents often have multiple career spans. You yes. know, we have... You know, I'm in my 40s, and I did not imagine I'd be running a nonprofit at this. You know, and I don't foresee like retiring sure. anytime soon. I love what I do yeah. and would like to go back to creating media. And so, having that as a role model that you don't have to figure out about what you're doing for the rest of your life when you're 18, you can figure out your first chapter, and um, and that chapter, as you know, could lead who knows where. But you just gotta put one foot in front of the other. And that first chapter when you're young and it's okay to be poor and you're not hopefully supporting a family, it should be the it should be the craziest. You know, you should shoot for the stars. That is a beautiful point. And shooting for the stars is a lot easier when you don't have a lot of people relying on you for their livelihood. You don't have dependents. And so that's become a part of something that I love sharing. Of course, giving credit to Esther um, when it comes to college students and really helping them determine what the best next step is after graduation is shooting for the stars. Um, is something you can, of course, do once you um, have a life partner and children, but it becomes a little more challenging as time goes on. And so I think starting it off with a bang is more important than ever. Um, next, we have the interview that we had with Catherine Burns, who is an Emmy Award winning choreographer and just an amazing person all around. And um, our conversation was really interesting because choreography is something I have very little to no experience with and her creative energy and the world that she's in is just really fascinating. And I really enjoyed the part of our conversation where she talked a little bit about um, her experience with listening to music and um, getting over maybe choreographer's block is maybe what they would call it um, and engaging her default mode network, which we get into a little bit, but the neuroscience behind getting beyond um, the point where it's difficult to create. I really enjoyed what she had to say about that and just how real she got about her process. So writers, when they're on the go and they have inspiration, they can obviously whip out a notebook or take out their iPhone and jot down their thoughts. Musicians, of course, can do the same thing. They can record themselves quickly on the go if they have inspiration on the go. But as a choreographer, if you're out with friends and you don't necessarily have a studio or you can just quickly set up your iPhone and record yourself, how do you how do you keep track of inspiration when you're on the go? I mean, it's interesting because I don't I don't find myself to be like an overly intellectual type person or have a good memory. Sure. But for some reason, when I see something that I like, like my my memory bank for movement is so vast that I don't even know I'm storing all of it. Right. Wow. So like, I'll watch something once and then be able to like do it. So even like pop and locking, I've never taken a pop and lock class. But when I'm in a room of pop and lockers and I'm trying to like get like how I think the groove is, like oh damn girl, that's what it is. Like was it? I don't know. I just like saw it once wow. and like kind of. Remember. I mean, for me, not everybody sure. like thinks that way. Sure. But, um But what a lot of times happens too. Of, I mean, I actually think of a lot of eight counts while I shower. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I don't know. If, 
if you're a creative bathroom person, but like all my best ideas come to me when I'm in the bathroom. Yes. <laughs> I think it's because you're just solely focused on the task at hand. It's like very simple. It doesn't happen when I'm in the kitchen or cleaning. It's just when I'm showering or in the bathroom totally. or pooping, you know? Yes. Some super interesting <laughs> but, uh, neuroscience actually came out about that recently where supposedly oh, really? if you're doing something really repetitive and boring that doesn't require any thought, a network in your brain triggers, which is called the default mode network. And supposedly that's where the unicorns and rainbows live. And that's where all, all the creativity comes out. But it requires oh. that you kind of disconnect from everything and do something really rep- repetitive and slow for that to happen, which I think is fascinating. Oh, which totally makes sense about my tally marks. Oh. If I'm just focusing on doing tally marks every eight count, then it's a repetitive motion ah. type thing. That's interesting. They say walking can trigger it, you know, sometimes brushing your teeth, anything that's just super repetitive. I love me some default mode network. And (laughs) um, this is something I've really learned to implement in my own life, um, especially when I have that creative itch that we were speaking about earlier, is just to go for walks, to force myself to disengage from social media, from from all the noise. And um, that is the best way for me to really start to get those ideas to flow and just kind of go on a mental cleanse. It's just been incredibly helpful. And I love the fact that uh, Catherine does that on a regular basis. And that's really where her big ideas come from. Um, The next interview we had was with um, a woman I am a big, big fan of. Her name is Lorian McKenna. She's uh, got lots of years of experience in both writing and story and spent quite a few years at Pixar. And if you haven't listened to her episode yet, I will let you know it is the most listened to episode to date. And people are crazy about her honesty and her humor. And it was really hard for me to choose which portion to show but um, or share with you. But I landed on this one eventually uh, because... It was a really unique perspective on uh, rejection and something that was really encouraging and actionable. And I love that she's put this in practice in her own life. Own it. Sell it. Not everyone wants it, but like too bad for them. Right. It's painful. Rejection is the worst. Right. Like that's painful and um i read this article last year i think it was this woman who was working so hard to make it to break in as a writer and she realized that she was spending so much time waiting for the yes that what she really needed to be doing was focusing on the rejections collecting rejections because that meant um instead of i need to sell a show i need to be rejected 15 times because that means i'm putting myself out there 15 times that means i'm I'm not quite ready. I'm not searching for perfection. I'm having meetings. It's about putting yourself out there. And I really, I loved this. And I set up a little spreadsheet and I was like, okay, here are all the times I put myself out. And then I would get a rejection. I'd be like, awesome. And I'd put it in my rejection column. Achievement unlocked. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Instead of, um, instead of like, oh man, that, that network hated me. What's wrong with me. It was like rejection On to the next rejection. Right. (laughs) I love that woman. So many words of wisdom and it's really kind of helped kick me in gear as far as, you know, don't need to put pressure on myself to be successful. I need to just 
continue to work hard and expect those rejections and see them as a blessing in disguise. Um, And again, if you haven't heard her episode and you are a storyteller or writer or really any kind of creative, I think it would be really encouraging for you. The next interview we had was with Donna Lynn Champlin, the um, Broadway star extraordinaire who's currently starring on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend for the CW. And I love her sense of humor and her wisdom. And she was just so gracious. And uh, she had a really unique perspective on um, going on social media cleanses uh, in terms of really just disengaging, like we just talked about a moment ago, um, when it comes to uh, the internet and all things social media. And um, her perspective is really fresh and refreshing. I mean, I still check Twitter, um, part for business and part, you know, to like keep on track of like what's happening sure, in the world. But sure, um, I don't know. Kind I'm of on a, a bit of a content as, fast, if you will. A little bit, which I think that's healthy. You know, it's very, it's a very fine line because you know when you are sort of creating content and, and writing, as I am right now, you know, part of you. It's, it's, it's difficult to figure out where you're at. As today, the day I go to a museum to sort of just be inspired by other people creating something amazing and bringing it to fruition. Sure. Or is today the day that I turn off the phone, the Twitter, the laptop, the TV, the radio, hmm. and just l- quietly, quietly listen to what my own voice is hmm. today. Um, and I think I think being an artist is sort of finding the balance between because you can't you can't put anything out if you're constantly getting stuff in yes I just don't think that channel works both ways sure absolutely <clears throat> so even if I'm you know watching television or you know I try to balance my output time with my input time mm. I don't like to have more stuff coming into my consciousness that I am willing to sort of put out. Mm. Mental gluttony, if you will, is certainly an issue in this day and age, really for anyone who has um, internet access in their pocket. And I know I've been guilty of it many times. And if you're putting in junk food, um, you are obviously not going to be at your prime and peak for making really truly creative masterpieces and that was a really great reminder from Donna Lynn someone who practices what she preaches and uh, I just loved that Um, the next interview we had was with the fantastic Tom Moore Um, he and his team at Cartoon Saloon have received um, incredible awards and of course an Academy Award nomination and they're some of my favorite creative people uh, across the pond in Ireland Um, But I really appreciated his perspective on making a commitment to something. It's scary to commit to something creative, um, but he really encouraged us to make those commitments and make them known. And that's a really great way to keep yourself accountable for something. And he had a little anecdote to share along those lines. We came from absolutely the outside and we're still very much kind of outsiders from the mainstream. And yet we found a way to find our voice more or less true persistence I would say you know like we (laughs) kind of almost painted ourselves into a corner where I always tell the story I had a friend when I was a teenager and he wanted to stop smoking and he took his packet of cigarettes and he wrapped it up in a 
in tape and he put it on top of his drawing table and he told everyone in the studio, I'm not smoking anymore. And the thing was that if anybody had seen him unwrap that packet and smoke, then he would have, you know. So that's yeah. what I did. I sort of said, I'm making a feature film. <laughs> in Kilkenny, you know, and I'm, I'm 23 or whatever I was at the time. And, and uh, you know, and, and then I sort of, yeah, I'd announced it and backed myself into a corner and then I sort of just had to do it because um, it's so easy to have a project that you're going to do someday and when, when you get a chance, when things are yeah. right, when the opportunity is given to you, when um, somebody uh, says, now you are ready and I knight you ready to make, you know, yes. find that waiting for permission to make your own films is, I think, more than ever today it's possible to get out there and make stuff. And if you point. make good stuff, it'll get noticed and just keep doing. That's like, a you know, really just good keep point. making stuff. Don't wait for permission to make something is a point that a number of the folks who have been on the podcast so far have made. Mark Osborne, of course, made that point as well. And um, it's a beautiful reminder that um, that is the pitfall that most creative people fall into. And the successful ones are the ones who avoid that. And they just they just do and they just make until something gets noticed and something is good. The next guest we had on was uh, John Brooks, who has, of course, worked alongside James Cameron many a time. And he had a wonderful point about tools do not necessarily equal great artists. And even though we have many tools at our disposal these days, um, that does not create great storytelling. And his, his emphasis really was on creating stories and art that mean something and move people. And... And yet, with the mass proliferation of of uh, computers and tablets and phones that you can do anything with, and, and cameras, how many Jim Camerons do we have out there? You know, ten or twelve. You know, uh, I, not not many. You think you think that it would have expanded hugely because of the technology, but it hasn't. We're doing young people and and the world a disservice by not finding a way to engage kids on a level that actually expands their intellect and causes them to challenge that and to be able to and to be able to create emotion I, I don't mean um, uh, knee-jerk reaction I mean true emotion yeah right? yeah make them and feel something be- while a lot of these interviews certainly focus in on storytelling, at least so far, um, these points are certainly valid across many, many disciplines. And uh, people want to feel something. They want us to make them feel something. And I really enjoyed that point from John. The next interview we had was with uh, Mark Osborne, who, of course, had many brilliant things to say. And the one I focused in on for this particular super-sode is his willingness to involve many people into the story and the creative process. He doesn't want to be a dictator. He wants to be an inviter and someone who really motivates everyone to be a part of that story and keeping the cement wet um, and not uh, squelching other people's creative genius. And so I really enjoyed uh, the part of our conversation where he specifically addressed um, how he deals with the voice actor piece and really those who are giving and breathing life into the character. Well, I I find that the thing that's worked for me consistently is to not let the cement dry. 
So in the creative process of trying to work out like, okay, you know, we, we're boarding the movie, we're doing scratch recordings, we're kind of approximating what we think, you know, might work. And when you're looking at those early days, it doesn't necessarily work and everybody has to squint at it and everybody has to go, well, you know, when you get real actors in there, it'll, 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 it'll start working better. And, and, and honestly, I didn't think at a character level, you have an idea of who that character is and a characterization of that character. But when you go into the record, I want to go in with wet cement and go like, you're part of the process now. And, and so it's not about making sure the the actor understands what you want them to do it's about giving them autonomy yeah it's about giving them making sure they understand what the opportunity is Mm -hmm. and what what and so then you're so for me it's been like amazing so like we had an idea of what jack black was going to do as poe like we kind of we were tailoring that character for him we were like I was a huge fan of Tenacious D, you know, like I gave CDs of Tenacious D live in concert to all the story crew. Like we were like, we were very much talking about the spirit of Tenacious D and this character of Poe. And we had an idea of a snarky guy. We had an idea of this guy that would get, you know, and we kind of had that idea based on other characters that uh, Jack had played in the past. And then what was amazing was what he brought to the table how he developed that character what he said he said you know i don't want this guy to be annoying and and he gave us a far more vulnerable and heartfelt character than we wow. could have ever imagined so and, cool. and i even think that's part of the secret of poe is that i do think it actually reveals something very very private and very real that jack had never quite put into a character before it never quite revealed and you know, and, and for me, and again, maybe I'm projecting and maybe for me, it just ended up sort of speaking to my sort of awkward, you know, teenage years, you know, yes. Yes. you know, for me, that was what was the power. And that was like, that wouldn't have happened if I said, hey, we want it to be like this, this and this. Yeah. And so it kind of like that was a real learning experience That's for me. And every step of the way, every actor I've worked with, you know, I've kind of I've, and, I've, and I've always said to them, I want you to treat this like a real role. Don't think of it as a cartoon. Don't think of it as a as a. You know, as it, oh, it's just animation, it's only for kids, or whatever. Whatever those sort of negative ways that sometimes people can look at animation. I said, I want you to think of this as a real character, and I want you to help us figure out, like, who this character is and how this character acts and feels. And, and each time you do that, I just have had an extraordinary experience, you know, especially with someone like, you know, someone as amazing as Jeff Bridges. Like, I was just so honored to be in a room with him, but to let him, let alone, like, watch him find that character wow. and then build on that you know what I mean like that's that's what's incredible so it's always the second session is the most incredible thing because the first session is a lot of playing around a lot of trying things and then we go back and we cut it together and we kind of use the best bits and pieces and then we actually maybe even do a little bit of animation sometimes or whatever and then by the time on the second session I bring it back and I show them I go this is kind of where we, we this is where we kind of net it out and then they're sort of like you know whoa <laughs> like this is like wait and then and then they build on that and so it's like it's a it's everybody's everybody's working together to try to get to that place that nobody expects that's brilliant i love that it's a very very insightful thing when you're a bit of a one-person show it's easy to get in your own head and not invite others into that creative process and there's a time and place for that but i really appreciated mark's approach And um, there are so many great things he had to share as well in his interview. So I I really encourage you to listen to that one as well. 
Um, next up, we had another really profound interview, another one that I would absolutely recommend you go and listen to with Jorge Gutierrez. Um, he's quickly become one of my absolute favorite creatives out there. And uh, it was really hard. This was another one to, to pick a piece <laughs> to share. Um, but I went ahead and zeroed in on something that Jorge has lived out time and again. Um, he was told no one would hire him, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. But um, he has learned to create his own work and create a demand for his own work. And his work ethic is just about as uh, impressive as anyone you will find out there. And so I really appreciated his perspective on this. Early, uh, early thing I learned in school: uh, separate process from from the finished thing. And then working for me, working hard was the thing that I, I kind of that was like the way I could compete with competition because it was so intense. Um, I did mostly, obviously, things exploring my culture, which hurt me long term uh, because a lot of teachers in school. I had two types of teachers who would say. You keep doing all this Mexican stuff, uh, no one's gonna hire you. Mm-hmm. And then the other side of the teachers were, you keep doing all this Mexican stuff, and you're not gonna have enough of a range to be able to do other things, so they can hire you. Oh wow! <laughs> the, the advice <laughs> I was given was, no one will hire you. And <laughs> oh, they were right. They were oh. right. Uh, animation studios would come visit Cal Arts. You know, they pick students and. They do all these portfolio reviews, and I would get called in. I would get really excited, and then they would look at my portfolio and say, "We love your stuff, but is there like another portfolio where it's not Mexican?" <laughs> it's oh no! Uh, and so one of the things, you know, as I started looking for work, I would I would be told, "If Scooby Doo goes to Mexico, we're gonna give you a call." You know, if if if, if that if any of our characters oh. ever go south of the border. You'll be the first guy we call. Oh, man. I even had someone in Nickelodeon tell me, if the Rugrats go to Rio, you're going to get a call. I was like, Rio? That's Brazil. (laughs) So a producer that I will thank eternally, uh, named Larry Huber, took me aside and said, I'm not going to hire you, but I'm going to give you advice. You are not going to get a job with this stuff. Because no one is doing this type of stuff. Yep, you're right. So the only person that can hire you to do this type of stuff is you. I was like, what? (laughs) Yeah. Pitch your own movies. Pitch your own TV shows. Because no one else is making this type of movies and these type of TV shows. And so they're not going to have to be looking for someone like you. You have to be the guy pushing that stuff. It's amazing that um, you can create a demand for your own work. And Jorge is one of the most innovative creatives I've ever known. And I've heard stories shared about his his journey and experience and uh, ways he's found to create a path when it seemed there wasn't one. So I so respect everything that he's done. 
The next interview we had was with Will Beecher, who um, has managed in his life to get um, a coveted job at one of the most respected stop motion studios in the world, um, Aardman Animation. And um, his story was really refreshing because it was truly a story of perseverance. And when it came to the end of the episode and I asked him what he might share with creatives getting ready to embark on uh, their careers, um, he came back to that, that point that he's truly lived out. One of the things I think that you only get with hindsight is that you you do need to persevere. Um, it's really it's really uncommon for things to happen straight away, particularly in yes. the creative industries. So um, you you like you're gonna if you love doing it, mm-hmm. then I think you will get there. I, I really do believe that if if it's something that you're driven to do because you have a passion for it or you love it and you'll find you a way <laughs> yeah yeah and you, it's not easy I think it's no it can be a very difficult thing you know both financially and um, in terms of yes. family and you know relationships it's it's like you've got to give quite a lot to it it's not an easy job to do Will has a pretty exciting uh, movie called Early Man coming out in the not-so-distant future, so I look so forward to seeing that with my family. It's really fun to be interviewing creatives who are active and creating things that we can soon enjoy and, and see how these um, lessons and stories they've shared will be a part of shaping really the creative uh, things they're putting out into the world. Our next interview was with the one and only Shannon Tyndall, who um, was the writer of Kubo and the Two Strings, which if, if you've not seen it, it's on Netflix now. And uh, I beg you to take a look. It is so incredible and touching and just genius. Um, and uh, Shannon had a lot of really practical tips for creatives, one of which, of course, includes a teamwork approach and welcoming people that are smarter than yourself to your team and to be a part of the process. So I really uh, appreciated his perspective on uh, the teamwork building. Surround yourself with people who are honest and better than you um, and listen to them, have an open conversation with them. But also know that if you are telling your own story, you are the expert on that story. Nobody knows that story better than you. It doesn't mean that you can't get help on it to make it better and clearer but uh you know be truthful to that story and listen to your gut really listen to your gut the more it sometimes like it's very tough to listen to what your heart's telling you if you're an editorial or you're like but if you got that nagging it's not it's and when you know like brad bird said something he said he can he can feel sometimes when people are trying to will him to just say yes and approve something like a hundred voices <laughs> going to prove approve approve and you're like mm, it's not quite there listen to that yeah shannon's perspective on that gut instinct is really refreshing and um it's certainly something that i've worked to apply in my own life just in general uh, and has really really been helpful um, next up, we had a fantastic interview with uh, Brenda Chapman, who really was the first female to direct um, a major studio's animation feature. And I enjoyed this anecdote about how her own life and experience uh, shaped the way that she wrote and told the story of Brave, uh, which, of course, she wrote and uh, directed 
and uh, won an Academy Award for, and uh, I think you'll appreciate it as much as I did. And so I just played around with a bunch of different things, and then there's the Seven Swans, you know, where, you know, they have, this sister has to figure out how to save her brothers by this thing. I don't know, just, it all started falling together with the tapestry mom turning into a bear and, and, and all of that but uh, it just but in in reality it's it's a story about a working mom and her daughter yeah that's the truth and and that's what I think comes through at least to me as a working mom yeah <laughs> um, and I think that you know you drawing from such personal experience I think that makes it so much more authentic and touching which is amazing but what do you feel super passionately about when you're developing a story that you just cannot let happen or um, I guess just what hills do you die on for lack of a better term um, the, the basically the, the the truth of the story the truth of the characters I mean I think that's one of the things is I was really fighting for who Merida was mm. and I'm very grateful that my crew and um, Mark who ended up taking over for the project that that uh, she ended up still being who I needed sure. her to be. Um, because, you know, I think there was a little fear um, at one point sure. uh, that, that this was something very different. I mean, I remember a marketing, Disney marketing guy coming in and saying, you know, I don't know how to market a movie with about two women arguing. You know, that, that was the... What, what they got out of it, you know? Okay. Yes, I knew, I knew what I had was working because I had so many people coming into me and I can't, you know, I had at least three, I think it was three guys at different time who shall remain nameless <laughs> after a screening would come into my office to tell me how much they loved it, but then they break down wow. because you reminded of them, of their mother and their son. If you listen to that full episode, you'll hear Brenda talk about her mother um, and her own life growing up uh, and also, of course, her life today. And I, I so appreciated knowing the backstory and what really helped her to craft uh, the story of Brave, which I personally have really, really enjoyed. And I know I've enjoyed it with my daughter and it's been really meaningful to us. And uh, I appreciated her sharing how she knew through the process that it was affecting people and it was going to be successful, uh, at least in terms of moving people. Um, And of course, the most uh, recent interview we had was with Nora Toomey of um, Cartoon Saloon. She, of course, works with uh, Tom Moore, who we interviewed uh, a few weeks ago. Um, And I appreciated her perspective on telling stories that speak to a wide range of audiences, not just small children, but telling stories with lots of layers that speak to adults and children and people in every walk of life. And that is a uh, a theme that Cartoon Saloon has always been very successful um, pushing. And uh, I think that's really why their stories have spoken to such uh, wide-ranging audiences worldwide. Um, sure. And I suppose at one point with the, the financing of that, we were... Uh, being pushed to make it uh, more, you know, young child friendly, you know. Sure. Um, so, 
and I get, again, you know, we were, you know, torn between wanting to make the film we wanted to make, but also wanting mm. to actually get to make it, you know, and not be talking, you know, about it, you know. <laughs> so, so there's, there's, there's always, and I think we'd learned this with our short films as well. There's always you, you do, you compromise uh, to the degree that you have to, you know, uh, to get the thing made, and then you hold everything else up to the highest levels that you possibly can. You know, you, 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 you have to search deeply to know what. What can you live with, and what can you live? You know, what can't you live without? I suppose when it comes to the yeah. the stories. Um, so, uh, so Kells was a battle for us, and was a, a again, I suppose, a baptism of fire in terms of understanding what is it about the story that we can we can hold on to, um, and sure. you know that that's going to pull us through it. And the, the same with uh, with Song of the Sea, because you know, conflict and sadness are at the core of mm. all films, really. I suppose you know, and it's how you how you dress. Address it and address it, and how you layer your storytelling. Um, so for us, that's always been, um, I suppose, the most important thing about our films. We love when, um, if you can have a young, you know, like a kid coming out of a film who's quite happy because the child characters and you know, in your in your film are yeah. okay or you know, or, or seemingly okay <laughs> or whatever. And where while parents have a different view or adults have a different view because they understand, you know, other levels of the, the storytelling or they yeah. can see it from different perspectives. While parents have a different view or adults have a different view because they understand, you know, other levels of the, the storytelling or they yeah. can see it from different perspectives, then when you can, you know, sit those people in an audience alongside each other and they're each getting something different from the film, then you, you know, that that, that kind of layering is what's always interested us, I think, as, as storytellers. And that's a wrap. Thank you for staying tuned through this whirlwind journey of creative tips and tricks. I hope you have found some actionable uh, things you can apply to your own discipline and creative passions. If you do, be sure to share it with me so I can pass it on to the individual we interviewed about that topic. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Basic Brainheart or uh, on Instagram at Hannah Camacho. And I would love to discuss anything that's on your mind, uh, what you're creating these days, maybe um, chat about anything you found particularly useful, or maybe talk about what types of guests you would like to see on the show in the future. And a last minute reminder, if you have found this show interesting or creative or helpful in any way shape or form i would so appreciate a rating and or review on the itunes app store that helps us get noticed not only by apple but also other folks who may be into this kind of content so we can grow the brain heart family all right we've got a great lineup over the next couple weeks we've got some folks in the audio world a musician as well as a sound designer and of course a casting director that'll be a really interesting conversation so i look forward to sharing that content with you and of course, lining up more guests. But in the meantime, stay creative, my friends.